Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Emily Tampkin, and you're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I am joined by Amir Tibon. He is senior editor at Haaretz, an Israeli journalist, and we're going to speak today about Israel's new prime minister, upcoming elections, and sort of the state of Israeli politics. Amir, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, Emily. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So for those who have not been following the story, can you just very briefly, very briefly summarize how Lapid came to be prime minister? It's a difficult thing to summarize quickly, but I'll give it my best shot. Israel has been suffering from a severe political and legal crisis for more than three years now, almost four And this crisis really has two main components. One of them is political instability. We've had four election cycles in three years, and we're now entering a fifth one, and uh, no end in sight to that problem. And at the same time, it's a legal, I would use the word constitutional, but Israel doesn't have a constitution, uh, but a legal crisis that has to do with the former prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu's legal troubles, the fact that he's facing criminal trial on three charges of fraud, breach of trust and bribery. And this has led the country to a situation where basically we've not had a stable government ever since 2018. In, in late 2018, Netanyahu had a government that fell apart. We went to an election that was inconclusive. And then we had to do another round of election and another one This all led to a short-lived government led by Netanyahu that survived less than a year. And then we had another election, another short-lived government led by Netanyahu's opponents, among them our new prime minister, Yair Lapid, which managed to survive more than a year, but just that. I mean, literally a year and a week or so it survived. And now we are going to another election as that government fell apart. And because of a technical arrangement Um, that was agreed upon between the different parties that made up that last government, um, Lapid became an interim prime minister, a caretaker prime minister, if you will, for the four-month period between now and election day in November. So he is the 14th prime minister of Israel, 
But will he last more than these four months of the election? That's the main question we're all asking right now. Before we move on to Lapid and into these four months, when we discussed this on the podcast a few weeks ago, my colleague, Alona Ferber, said that although the government that just broke apart, of which Lapid was a part, tried to bill itself as a change government with respect to Palestinians, it was much more a government of continuity. Would you agree with that? It's right on the strategic level. I'm not sure it's right on the tactical level because there were some specific areas where the government did things different than Netanyahu. For example, when it comes to Gaza, uh, this government that, again, is no longer uh, really enjoying a mandate but is still in office through the election, they gave working permits to Palestinians from Gaza, thousands of them, I think more than 10,000, which was something that the Netanyahu government did not do all these years, even though there was support for it, uh, even among some of the security establishment in Israel who thought that this was a way to improve the economy in Gaza and create a better reality on the ground and decrease tension. So this is a very kind of you know tactical example. But I think on the strategic overall level, that's a correct assessment. This government was not founded in order to replace Netanyahu's policy on the Palestinian issue. Uh, it was created in order to, first of all, end the cycles of elections that had plagued Israel since 2018, four elections in three years, and uh, the Lapid and uh, Naftali Bennett, his partner, uh, government, was really, first of all, about stopping that bleeding, because as much as Israel likes to see itself as the only democracy in the Middle East, uh, I think for any democratic country, having so many elections in such a short period of time is just unhealthy. And the second purpose behind that government was to try to bridge between different sectors and segments of Israeli society. It was a very eclectic government. It had very right-wing parties within it, including the party of the previous Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. But then it also included left-wing parties uh, that opposed the settlements and the occupation. And even one Arab-Israeli party, the Islamist party of uh, Mansour Abbas, it was a fascinating political experiment some will say the fact that it lasted for only a year proves that these different elements in Israeli society cannot be part of the same government. And others will argue that actually the fact that it managed to survive a year, unlike the previous Netanyahu-led government that fell apart after eight months, even though it had a stronger majority in the beginning, shows that maybe this is the way forward for Israel in the future, building eclectic and unusual coalitions that bring together parties with different ideologies. But I think if the main issue that you are examining right now is the Israeli-Palestinian issue, then it's true that such a government cannot take dramatic action because the right-wing flank and the left-wing flank cancel out each other. Lapid is a, is a figure who's known to Israelis, who's been prominent for, for quite some time. What role did he play in this coalition? And, and what sort of figure do you think he'll try to strike now that he is the interim prime minister? I think he had two roles in that previous government that was a partnership between him and Naftali Bennett. Formally, he was the foreign minister, but more importantly, more importantly, he was the architect behind it. After the fourth round of election, uh, which was the March of last year, it seemed that we were clearly destined for a fifth election and that there was no way to form a government because the results were so deadlocked. 
And Lapid did the impossible of bringing together all these different parties that made up this uh, coalition government, from Bennett's right-wing religious party all the way to Meretz on the, uh, the Israeli left and uh, Mansour Abbas's uh, Islamist party. The man most responsible for this creation was Yair Lapid. So the fact that he was foreign minister in the government, I think, is also important because now as prime minister, during an election campaign, he will get to capitalize on some of the connections that he started building as foreign minister. He's supposed to host U.S. President Joe Biden in mid-July. Mm-hmm. Uh, on his first day on the job, he flew to Paris to meet with French President Macron. And so all of that will make a difference, perhaps, during the election campaign. But the real issue is that Lapid proved himself when he created this eclectic coalition as a political mastermind, because nobody gave this a chance. People thought there was no way the right wing and the left wing and the religious and the Islamists in Israel will all sit together. And I think now with the election, this will be the main ticket he's going to run on. He's going to say, I did the impossible once. And if you vote for me again, I will find a way as unlikely as it seems at the moment, to create a stable government in Israel and put an end to this era of instability. Guests on this podcast never like it when I ask them to make predictions, but that has not stopped me so far and it's not going to stop me now. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that will work, right? Like, yes, he did this impossible thing, but the reality is that it's, it worked for a year, but not longer. There will be another election. Do you think that that, you know, give me another chance and I'll do it again, will resonate with voters? Million dollar question. And I don't think I can answer it. And also four months, which is the amount of time we have until election day in early November, is eternity in Israeli Mm -hmm. politics. So much can happen. We don't even know for sure what is going to be the exact makeup of the different parties participating in this election. There could be all kinds of mergers and splits between existing parties. And in Israel, unlike, let's say, the US political system, where you basically go and vote for a specific candidate for Congress or or for Senate or for president, in Israel, it's a parliamentary system where you vote for a party list. It's not even a regional parliamentary system where you vote for a specific representative. You just go and vote for a party. And so the party lists, which are selected in various interesting ways. In some uh, parties, it's an internal democratic election between members. In others, there's some form of a committee that appoints the the, the list. But even that is unknown to us at the moment. The party lists can make a big difference. People don't just vote in Israel for the person at the top of the party, but sometimes they get swayed by the person who's number seven on the list who came to their neighborhood and gave a really interesting speech. So all of these things have not been determined yet. And that's why any kind of prediction this far out is premature. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just 12 pounds. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale, that the creature lies stranded on the beach 
as whales sometimes are, but the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display. A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I have just a few follow-ups on what you've said so far. The first is, you know, you mentioned President Biden's visit and how Lapid will be prime minister for that. What kind of figure do you think he'll try to cut for that visit? Do you think it will help him politically? What do you think from his perspective, the top objectives or priorities of that visit will be? So I want to point out, and this will require a little trip uh, down memory lane, that uh, in the three Israeli election cycles of 2019 and 2020, Donald Trump was the president in, in the United States, and he did everything in his power to help Benjamin Netanyahu, who back then was prime minister in Israel, win the election. I mean, Trump really went out of his way to help Netanyahu with all kinds of gestures and uh, October surprises, even though the elections were not in November. But I'm using, of course, the American term for a late Mm -hmm. event that can sway the election. All of these things were supposed to help Netanyahu, and they didn't. 
with all of these interventions by Trump that I, I think really brought the level of U.S. involvement in Israeli politics to unprecedented heights, still it wasn't enough for Netanyahu to seal the deal, win a majority, and end these election cycles. And Trump was very popular in Israel. At some point, he had, uh, I think, a favorable view among the 70% of Israelis in uh, opinion polls. This is after he moved the U.S. embassy, supposedly, uh, to Jerusalem. But that didn't help Netanyahu. I think Joe Biden knows very well that his ability to sway the election or help Yair Lapid, which I think he prefers as prime minister over Netanyahu, is very limited. And I don't mm-hmm. think he's even going to try that much. What matters for Lapid in this visit is, first of all, I think the very fact that more and more Israelis will get used to the fact that someone who is not Benjamin Netanyahu can meet an American president and discuss with him the important issues of Iran and regional security. Because you have to remember, for younger Israelis especially, Netanyahu being prime minister was as obvious as the sun going up in the morning. He was prime minister for 12 years in a row and three years before that in the late 1990s. There are people here who don't have a memory of someone else being prime minister. And to them, it seems like only Netanyahu can meet an American president Hmm. and uh, discuss these important issues with them. And other politicians, they can be finance minister and foreign minister and education minister, but prime minister, that's reserved for one man. And so I think the importance for Lapid of the visit is only in the sense of instilling in the Israeli public the understanding, the deep understanding that he can do it just as well. And I think that might be helpful to him. But beyond that, I don't think the visit is going to have much of an impact, especially because it's happening in July. And like I said, until November, a million other things can happen that would impact this election. Right. So, I mean, that's that's my next question is, are there other events besides this visit? You know, obviously there will be unexpected happenings between now and late fall. Are there other events that you know are going to happen that you're that you will be watching and keeping an eye on and and wondering, you know, hmm, how will how will this impact the elections? So one main issue is going to be the Iran negotiations. Mm-hmm. If an agreement with Iran will be agreed upon, I think that definitely could have an impact. I, I can't say in which direction. If the agreement will have some components in it that Lapid and his coalition partners, like the defense minister, Benny Gantz, and others, will be able to present as supposedly an achievement, I'm putting this in brackets, for Israel, that you know some uh, a clause in the agreement was supposed to be terrible in their view, and it became much better after they discussed it with Biden, it could work in their favor. And then again, of course, Netanyahu will try to use the agreement to portray Lapid as a weak prime minister who could not stand up to Biden and world powers. So I think that's one event that's worth you know, looking closely at. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, Emily, the unexpected terror attacks, maybe some kind of financial crisis, all of these things can have an impact. But I want to say something more perhaps pessimistic for all the campaigners and the strategists and the people who have great theories of how elections in Israel work. This is the fifth election in three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And the four previous elections, the results were pretty similar. There were movements of three to four seats here, here and there, which is important because those three to four marginal seats are the difference between 
Netanyahu returning to the prime minister's office or uh, Lapid continuing as prime minister or someone else taking over. So it's not unimportant. But I don't suspect that anything will create some kind of huge movements in public opinion. No mm. matter what happens at the end of the day, this is something that Israelis have long thought about. We've had four election cycles to discuss with ourselves and our friends and our families how we are going to vote and for whom and why. I don't expect big movements in any direction, mm. but that actually means, Emily, that the events like the ones we mentioned, whether it's the Iran negotiations or, uh, God forbid, some terror attack or other things, their impact might be significant because you only need to sway a small segment of the electorate, those you know, marginal three to four seats, to see completely different results. Finally, we've, we've sort of been, not dancing around it, but I haven't asked you so directly about it. Netanyahu is the other big figure to watch in this election. I think some have billed Lapid as an anti-Netanyahu. One, do you think that's fair? And two, what will you be looking for from the former prime minister in these elections? For Netanyahu, I think this is a do or die election. Within his party and the group of religious parties that support it, there have been um, murmurings that if he does not get a majority this time, you know, fifth election in three and a half years, it's all about his legal trial. It's all about trying to reach a majority that will give him the power to cancel the indictment and end his criminal trial. And if he fails to do it this time, I think he's going to lose that net of support that has been holding him uh, not in power anymore as prime minister, but still in control of his own party and of the Israeli right-wing religious block of parties that includes several components. And he knows it. He knows that if he does not get his majority this time, he's probably not getting another chance. But the stakes are just as high, Emily, for Israeli democracy. Mm. Because if he does get it, if he does get the majority that has eluded him so far, he also will realize that Whatever he doesn't do now, he will not have a better chance to do later. And he will definitely take action that will change the balance of power between the different authorities in Israel. And again, I'm, the word constitutional is a bit uh, weird to use because Israel does not have a constitution. Mm -hmm. But it will be a constitutional crisis because we do have a certain way that things have worked in this country for decades. It's imperfect and there are many things that I, as an Israeli citizen and journalist, would like to see change in this country. But still, the balance we have today between the courts and the legal system and the political system will be completely altered if Netanyahu gets this majority. And we'll be living in a different Israel if that happens. I do want to ask one last question. I lied, although that would have been a good note to end on. But news has come out that Israeli authorities are delaying this E1 settlement project. This is something that the U.S. had, had objected to. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell us, tell our listeners a bit about what the E1 settlement project is and whether its delay, how its delay will factor into the Biden visit and if at all into elections this coming fall? Yeah, so E1 is an area um, outside Jerusalem, not far from a large Israeli settlement called Maale Domim where Israel has had plans to build another settlement or you know, neighborhood for many years, and there has been strong objection to that from the Palestinian Authority and the European Union and the U.S., because it's seen as a step that would really shut the door 
on any kind of territorial compromise in the larger Jerusalem area, which will be necessary if we want one day to have a two-state solution and a Palestinian state next to Israel. You know, Emily, some people will say that at this point in time, the entire two-state solution looks so hopeless um, that a specific building project is, uh, is not going to be what will doom it because perhaps it's already dead. But from the point of view of the United States, it's important that Israel does not take this specific step. And I think any Israeli government, including a Netanyahu, very right-wing government, would wait with this until after Biden's visit, just for the sake of uh, you know, not embarrassing a sitting U.S. president when they come to Israel. I just want to mention this building project did not go forward during the Trump years either. Right. I mean, Trump right. supposedly gave Israel a carte blanche and yet Israel did not build in E1 under Trump as well. So I don't think it's a big surprise that this has been delayed and I don't think it will be renewed either after Biden flies to Saudi Arabia. But I think the bigger question here is what will the next Israeli government do on the broader Palestinian issue and not just specifically this project, but will we finally have a government but we'll try to have a real policy on this question because through these endless election cycles and the instability of the last four years, there has been almost no discussion of real critical issues that affect our lives here as Israelis. We've been so busy with Netanyahu's trial and with the unique threat that he poses to our own democratic system and to this big political fight over yes or no Netanyahu that we are ignoring critical issues like uh, the situation in Gaza. And I live, for example, in, in southern Israel. There is a lot of important things to, to deal with inside this part of the country. But we're not getting to it because right now our political system is paralyzed by the Netanyahu question. We will leave it there. Um, Amir, thank you so much for coming on today. We are going to have you back on in, I think, I hope, in the in the fall, closer to elections, to talk about that which we could not have predicted now, that, that perhaps will be clearer to us later on. Sounds, sounds great. Thank you very much, Emily. And uh, I invite everyone, if you're interested, to read more about the election, to get our coverage on howarts.com. Thank you very much for inviting me. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend, an enemy, an acquaintance, a cousin, and rate us and leave us a nice review. Our producers have been Hugh Smiley and Mae Robson. The team will be back on Thursday, and I am Emily Tampkin. Thanks for listening, and until next time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson 
for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.